0: Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and joining me today is Patrick Henry, known professionally as Fresh. In 2018, after growing a reputation as a tailor to the stars, he established the LA-based luxury fashion label Rich Fresh, best known for tailored to a tee suits and tracksuits. I wanted to ask him about his journey in the fashion industry, which has taken him from Memphis to Xenia to dressing the weekend, as well as his plans to grow the brand. Give the people what they want, Fresh. <laughs> Welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. Thank, doing great, Joe.
0: Thanks for being here. Can I call you Fresh?
1: <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. All my friends call me Fresh.
0: Right on. Well, thanks for being here. So I was poking around on your site. Lux leisure is a, is a phrase or a term that's that's all over there. Um, is that your approach? How do you describe Lux leisure?
1: Yeah, it's a word that I coined. Um, when I first started doing the track suits, you know, I didn't want to call them like, you know. I didn't. I didn't want to make it seem too sporty, um, because I'm still a tailor. I still have like a, a reputation for doing luxury suits. So, and since they weren't just trash suits, like they were luxury garments. They were built out real beautifully. I just started using the term athleisure, Um so it's like it feels athletic, but it's still serious. So I started, I just use athleisure a lot, and I started seeing because um, no one was using that term, and then. <laughs> I mean, unless it was like Reebok, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I started seeing other people in a luxury space doing a s- somewhat similar thing all of a sudden and calling it athleisure. So um, I kind of coined my own phrase like the luxury version of athleisure is luxe leisure. Yep. Yeah. So.
0: I like it. (laughs) I like it. Well, the, uh, the term luxury in itself is evolving. I would say, um, what makes something luxury in your eyes, especially a fashion garment
1: more than just the term luxury, you know, like there are certain hallmarks that you have to have just like having a luxury auto certain things that you have to have in your car, in your engine in order to like be in that category. So as far as clothes go, you know, it's all in the details. Um, it's the stitching. It's the precision. It's where the garment is produced. You know what material is produced with, like the little trims, the, those little things on the inside that no one pays attention to. That's generally what signifies luxury, because um, luxury designers they're spending that extra little money to romance their customer.
0: Yes, I feel like you know the details. It's not like dressing for everyone else? It's like you feel. Good.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> I
0: love it. Well, let's get bring our listeners up to speed. Let's walk through your brand story quickly before we kind of jump into where you are now. Uh, your roots in Memphis. Where did you learn your craft? What was happening there?
1: So I actually got the fashion bug um, during my time in Little Rock. I used to live in Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, the most unlikely places to get <laughs> any kind of fashion bug, uh, but I got it there. I was thirteen um I tutored a cheerleader and she told me that um you know I asked her what it took to get the attention of pretty girls because she was like a pretty girl (laughs) and um she told me that you know if I dress better that I think the girls would take take more uh attention they'd take more of a liking to me so I started focusing on the way I look and then I just kind of threw myself into fashion because it's like if you understand fashion you can control the way you look and uh started teaching myself how to sew when I was 13, just by myself. And I did that all through high school, just keeping it, you know, keeping it a secret. I didn't want it to be a a thing that was discussed or that I was asked about. I just wanted to do what I needed to do. And after high school, you know, I had a decent level of proficiency with sewing. um, And I would just sit around sewing stuff all the time. And when I was 21, I decided to start a business. Um, using this sewing machine and i wanted to be a you know i didn't think that fashion was really the market in memphis but i thought tailoring would be so i just <laughs> i started tailoring people's clothes not knowing what i was doing but i kind of taught myself as i went yeah i'm one of those people that can like learn as i go and um yeah i just branded myself as a tailor and just, just taught myself how to tailor
0: that's awesome. Well, again, you're speaking my language. Maybe I'm in the Midwest right now. Maybe I was a cheerleader. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> did you get some regular, um, I guess, regular clients? How did you grow that? How did you get the word out? Uh, what, how did you build that business in Memphis?
1: So in Memphis, my business was more um, B2B initially. I, I took care of dry cleaners. So I found, you know, like, I'm big on finding your niche, finding your market. Like, You know, it's not about the product or the service. It's about who. Who are you directing this product or service to and what problem are you solving? If You're not solving a problem, then you're just like more mess, you're more junk. So I found a problem with the the dry cleaning industry was their ability to handle alterations because they don't staff tailors and they don't understand it. So customers are coming in and they're generally being disappointed or sent away. Um, And so I just put together an idea it's like I'll solve your problem. You can keep making the alterations, money, because I'll do it for you. I'll pick it up, you know. So that was how I initially built my business, was just servicing dry cleaners, built it real quick. Um, then I opened a, a store, well, not a store like a a dry cleaner. I opened a dry cleaner in the tailor shop in mm-hmm. downtown Memphis. Uh this is all happening in Memphis now. And then um when I shut down my my uh shop, uh I was 24 and I thought I was done. I thought I was gonna have to get a job somewhere. And um my dry cleaning customers would call me because I still, you know, they had my phone number. And um it's like, yeah, man, I, I closed down the cleaners, you know, I'm out of business. They said, Yeah, that's cool, man, but I got a suit that needs to be altered. Can it can you come by the house? I was like, Oh, I can just come to you. They're like, yeah, I don't care, just come to me. <laughs> and so um I was like, Oh, well, I'm gonna brand myself as a concierge tailor and I'm gonna go to people. Nice. Uh, and then, you know, I just did that.
0: I mean, that is service.
1: <laughs> Heck yeah.
0: <laughs> so what took you to New York? New York was after that. Next step.
1: New York was after that. So you have been doing your reading. I, I, I know. You. <laughs> um, yeah. So you know, New York, I was 27 and I had kind of reached my um my max. You know, I felt like I had done all I could do in Memphis and I was still broke. Um, and I was working at that time I was working, I was tailoring at this uh luxury retailer this big luxury retailer named oak hall and i wasn't making any money um you know i had a uh, had a brand new baby so i was just like i was i think i was just fed up with uh the limited opportunities and um i just felt like i needed more challenge you know like people told me that i should stay in memphis because i was the best like you're the best that there is here you should stay and be a big fish in a small pond I was like this pond's not big enough Yeah, You know, I'd rather rather go learn how to swim in the ocean. I don't want to, you know what I'm saying, get comfortable in this little speck of water. Uh, So I left to just get more experience and tailor with like more um, seasoned tailors, you know, really learn the craft.
0: Right on. So how long were you in New New York? Did you grow, did you open a a tailor shop there? Were you doing more custom shop, (laughs) custom work there? Uh, Who did you meet?
1: I didn't, didn't really have enough time for that. I was only in New York for maybe eight months. Oh, my
0: goodness. Um,
1: yeah, it wasn't that long, but then uh, the market crashed. Uh, the big housing market crashed. And the jobs that I had, I lost them. Like, I was working two jobs at that time, and I lost both of them within two weeks of each other. Oh, jeez. So, um, yeah, that was, like, my sign to just pack it on up. And I hadn't really built, um, like, a social group. You know, I was I was just working, so... My life, I hadn't really established any roots in New York. So I didn't have anything keeping me here when, you know, things got ugly. So I left and went back to Memphis. You know, my kid was there too. So I went back and um, that's when I started making bags. That's when I got custody of my daughter. And that's when I like, I really had to grow up. And um, I was in Memphis for like a year, you know, maybe a year and a half. And um, no, actually I was in Memphis for two years. And again, you know, like just being broke, being on couches, um, and now I'm making these beautiful bags that people are like really wanting them. But I, I know I could sell them for more. I know I could do more. <sighs> but I'm, I'm back in the wrong market, so I got to do this again. And I decided this time, instead of going to the cold, I go to the warm. <laughs> so, um, you know, we just me and my brother and my daughter, we just drove across the country to the West Coast. Didn't know anybody. Never been. We just figured, you know, why not?
0: Yes, I love it. And you got a, a more of a corporate world job. Yeah. Was that out of the bat um, when you were at Xenia or uh, when did that go down?
1: No. So Xenia was um, Xenia was Los Angeles. So when we moved to California, we settled in San Diego at first. So we were there for um, three years. It was crazy. Um, just, you know, all the ups and downs. I restarted my business there. It was like fledgling, had to shut it down. Um, you know, I had a lot of like family tragedy, you know, like my, my dad passed like a year after we got there, things just weren't really, things weren't flying. It was, it was one of the roughest periods ever. Um, just being in San Diego, that whole three year period. And in my brother and I, we started a business with someone, um, you know, like six months in, uh, you know, God takes all the money and dips. So. Nice. We're like shit, you know. So we're back on couches and back struggling. And I said, "Man, I'm out. I'm going to Los Angeles. I'm I'm done with this San Diego shit." So I moved to LA, and it was my first job because I didn't work any jobs while I was in San Diego. I'm just very anti-job, but you know, I I didn't want my my kid to keep suffering and have this uncertainty. Um, So I put out my resume all on Rodale Drive just to get jobs tailoring. I just wanted to tailor. And um, Zinnia called me in for an interview. And when they saw me, you know, I was I was in a really nice suit that I had altered. You know, I look nice. I'm young. I got tattoos and stuff. And they're like, you're a tailor? I was like, yeah. I'm like, nah, man, you need to be working retail. You could be doing sales. I was like, look, I just need a job, man. It's whatever. <laughs> so they hired me to do sales. I ended up being um, the number one in sales at, at my store, like consistently and it was a piece of cake and it um really gave me the confidence to to like oh man you can sell a luxury product easily even though you're like kind of rough around the edges you still have a look and you you have a way of connecting with people you could do this on your own um and then you know things got weird at zenia uh, the environment wasn't as warm and welcoming as it once was and i know it was time to go and and, and forge my own path and uh, I left in 2014 and started my first business in L.A., which was called Rich Freshman. Oh. Uh, yeah, so it's uh, it was an early spin. You know, uh, it was inexpensive suits. They were like $600, $800 made in China. But they were cool. They were colorful. Like, you know, just colors that you weren't used to seeing, orange suits, pink suits, light blue suits. And in L.A., as much as you would think, it's a colorful place. and they they don't wear shit like that. You know, it was still a black suit, gray suit, Navy suit place. So I was, you know, I was kind of stepping out there doing something different. Um, but clearly I had to make some changes along the way. because <laughs> $600 suits aren't going to do it. Oh,
0: my gosh. Well, Fresh, this is a success story. You're right. You've had some trials, some tribulations. I love that they're like uh, a tattoo. Oh, no, a tailor with tattoos. What? Right. <laughs> You're a rare breed. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> so you you launched your business. When you started this... Um, And I guess you said you were making them in China. Like, how did you even go about it? Establishing those necessary partners to to create something in the quality that you would like um, and to get it in front of people. What was the first step?
1: Um, Shout out Michael Thomas. So there's a tailor back home in Memphis named Michael Thomas. Uh, He and I are good buddies. Uh, He's a few years, maybe like 10 years older than me. But he was like the youngest tailor in the city. But he was making clothes. I was altering clothes. He was making clothes. And so when I was in San Diego, um, I was doing alterations for this guy. And I was altering an Armani suit for him. I need to completely recut it, which I had really learned when I was in New York. So I had to take the shoulders off, just make it like two sizes smaller. So I finish it. I get it back to him. He asked me how much it is. And I'm thinking I'm charging him like an exorbitant rate. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to charge you $400. And he was like, oh, $400. I was like, yeah, he's like, Oh, sweet. And he says, sweet, and reaches in his check, I mean in his pocket to grab a check. And something in my brain was like, he said sweet too easily. I thought that was a big number. You need to find out how much he spent on this suit. So I asked him how much the suit was, and he told me it was three thousand dollars. I said, What? And it doesn't fit. And he was like, dude, I got a closet full of them. And that's why I, was, I said, okay. I'm going to stop doing alterations. I need to start getting this suit money. So I called my guy, Michael. I told him what had happened. I was like, look, man, I need a source. I know you have someone producing your stuff. I don't want them. I want whoever you were using before them. Whoever you stopped doing business with to do business with who you're currently doing business with, tell me who they are. Let me start with them. So he sent me, um, he gave me a source, his his, uh, old source. I got started with them. They weren't that great, but it was a start. And then um, what happened? Some, some, Somehow or another, a guy flew in town. He had heard about me because I was doing a few things in San Diego, but not much. But he heard about me and he flew in town um, and he represented this Chinese manufacturer, had lunch with us, and I started doing business with them. Um, they made a good product, but, you know, it took forever to get it. And it's just not quite the same, you know?
0: Yep, for sure. Well, I feel like you are a brilliant marketer. I read, tell me if it's right, that you, you were branding yourself as a celebrity tailor, and that really helped you to to gain celebrity clients, whether or not you had them established or not. <laughs> what was the road to celebrity?
1: So the first time I did that was was actually when I was still doing alterations. So, you know, I quit my job at am um, I'm, I'm making my suits, you know, doing my little thing, but it's just money's so sporadic, you know, there's nothing consistent. Um, and so, you know, I know how to do alterations, so I start doing alterations. But just for, like, regular jobs. Um, and, you know, it's money. It's money. But I always feel like you can do more. You can do more. And um, I, I think I bumped into someone who was, like, a seamstress. And she said that she took, like, she just did stuff for celebrities. And I'm like, damn, I should be doing that shit. And uh, I just got my Instagram going. And I just put in my caption, celebrity Taylor. Uh and then someone hit me up and they said, Hey man, I hear that you do you, you you work with celebrities. Oh yeah, all the time. <laughs> <I'm> like, really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, sure. He's like, Great, because um, we 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 need we need somebody. Uh and I told my people about you. So can you the next thing you know, I'm at a studio and I'm oh man, you're a celebrity, and I'm altering their suit or and then I started doing all that. And then I was like the go-to guy doing alterations for all the celebrities, but I was still broke. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, wait a second. I'm still broke. Uh, So at a certain point, I just kind of got fed up with the alterations. And I was like, you're, you're, you're doing it again. You're accepting the small dollar to fix people's clothes. You should be the clothes. Uh, So I called everyone. I told them I'm not doing alterations anymore. I'm just making clothes now. And I went right back to Instagram. And I typed in again, celebrity Taylor, but this time it's not for alteration. So when the phone calls came in, cause I knew that they would come in, like I'm, I'm a, I'm a manifester. So like if I want something, I just kind of, I put it in front of me and it always, you know, it, it, it comes to fruition. So I knew that the calls were going to come, but the conversation would steer them in a different direction this time. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm a celebrity tailor. I make the clothes. And then all it took is one celebrity saying, "Hmm, okay, well, make me this. You do a good job. Your words, you know, your name spreads and you get two and you get three. Then you get 10 and you get 20. And that's how it happens.
0: Right on. Was the transition from alterations to making clothes, like, is it just, you've dealt with enough suits in your day, you, you, you could figure it out. Or was that like a tough, tough transition for you?
1: It was an easy transition. Um, Because yeah, again, like I had, I had done so much tailoring work on every suit brand you could think of. Tom Ford, you know, Zinnia, Armani, like all the big brands, all the small brands. So I knew like some suits are made this way. Some are made this way. Like what shoulder do I like? Because I'm I'm looking at these pieces and I'm critiquing them for the style. I'm doing the work, but I'm still critiquing the style, looking at the little detail elements. And then when it was time for me to do my thing, I had like just a whole library to to reference and just pull from it's like hmm I want this to be like this and this to be like this and I want my pick stitch detail to be like this because I've seen it and my my eye was drawn to that. Um so yeah, I kind of had a cheat code. It's a little unfair. Yes.
0: <laughs> was somebody um was there somebody that wore your suit that really uh gained you a lot of recognition and and made you more of a go-to than you were before?
1: Oh, 100%. John Legend and Kevin Hart. Like those are my two the biggest celebrities that I got when I first started rich fresh I had written their names on a whiteboard before I ever started I had like this list of like 12 celebrities that I had to have I think I've gotten all of them except for I think I may have gotten all of them now.
0: Nice. um
1: but I just reached out to their stylist and said hey here's who I am this is what I do I think you should connect with me and um they did and the rest is history
0: Yeah, but your most iconic work recently has been working with The Weeknd on his look for his album last year. Now, you're the one behind his whole silhouette for this era. How did that even happen?
1: Yeah, came up with the idea. You know, he called me one night because I made a suit for um, the guy that owns a label that he's on, XO. I made a, a suit for his son. They were doing a christening. So I did a suit for Sal. I did a suit for his son. And he said, hey, bro, I need you to do a suit for Abel. Because he's the baby's godfather. I was like, okay, cool. So he calls Abel. He says, hey, bro, I'm sending um fresh to you, bro. He's going to make you a suit, bro. I need you to wear it for the christening. He's like, oh, okay, cool. So I go to his house. I'm like, yeah, hey, what's up, bro? He's like, yo, what's up, bro? And that was it. I just took his measurements and came back a week later with his Navy suit. They wore it to the christening. Afterwards, he calls me. I was just at the house chilling. And he called me and said, hey, man, I really like that suit. Like, bro, I really like what you did with that suit, bro. Like, I really enjoyed working with you. Like, we gotta do some more work together, bro. It's like, it's the fucking weekend. Like the fuck? I'm like, yeah, man, of course. Like, what you got in mind? He said, actually, man, you know, I'm working on my new album. And I don't know, I I want, I want a different look. Like, I want something different than what people have seen. And I just really like your suit. I'm like, okay, well, what you thinking? It's like, bro, have you ever seen casino? I'm like, mm, no, was it Robert De Niro? He's like, Yeah. He's like, bro, I want something that feels like casino, bro. Like kind of edgy, you know. Yeah, uh, I'm 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 doing my my impersonation. He's with the, you know, you know. Um I was like, uh sure. So I would stopped what I was doing. I watch casino. And then um I hit him back. I was like, oh dude, I know what you mean. He's like, yo, bro, like, you know, just like something that feels like that. And I put together three concepts. Um and the I think the second or third concept was red jacket, black shirt, black tie, black pant, just having the red and just the jacket, black pocket square. Um, he was like, I like that one, bro. It feels dangerous, bro. I love that one. I'm like, all right, cool. Shit. Well, let me do one. And uh, I did it. Like I flew to Vegas and was there for the video. I did and Not just him. I did the clothes for him and the producer Metro Boomin. Um, I thought it was just going to be a one-off thing because I did, I did two looks for Abel for that video. When we get there, we're in Vegas and I gave him look number one, which was the red suit and the black pants and the black shirt. Look number two was this like, it was something off like fear and loathing. So it was more of like a Brown concept with a colorful shirt. And, uh, he was looking at them. He tried on the red suit and they were like, okay, man. So, um, and then for scene two, we're gonna switch into this one. And he was wearing the suit and he was just looking at it. And he said, no, bro. I don't wanna wear the other look, bro. He's like, dude, what do you mean? We, we got this whole thing. He's like, no, bro. I just wanna wear this suit, bro. I don't wanna do the other one. I just, I just want, and I was like, oh fuck. Like, did I fuck up? I thought I fucked up. And he didn't like the other look. And I was like, so what happened? And he's like, I don't know, man. He just wants to wear the red suit. I'm like, well, what about this other look? I mean, I, I think, they're still gonna keep it, but he doesn't want to wear it. And I was I thought I had fucked up, you know. I was like, shit. So the whole video, he just wore the red suit for Jimmy Kimmel. He 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 asked for a blue suit. He said, Hey man, can you do one in blue? That's the only time there's one time that he's ever been seen throughout that period with a different color suit, and it was a blue one. He had a blue jacket. And after that, he said, No, nah, bro, I'm just gonna do the red. I like the red more. It's more dangerous. Like the blue is just too, like approachable. I like the red, and after that, like every week, they were like, "We need three more red suits. We need four more red suits. We need two more red suits." I'm
0: like, what the fuck is he doing with these suits? <laughs> Let's take a quick break. Who else is on the list? You've dressed the weekend. You've dressed Bieber, I believe. Uh, who yes. else?
1: Um, Kodak Black, Obama, Reese Witherspoon, just did some work with uh, Will Smith, um, Mm -hmm. Lena Waithe, um, just did Cedric the Entertainer for the Emmys, Kirk Franklin, shout out my guy Kirk Franklin, lots of athletes, um, Jesus, uh, I did Joel Embiid, Deshaun Watson, um, Antoine Bethea, um, nice. Aroldis Chapman, pitcher for the Yankees. It's a long list. I know I've forgotten somebody. They're probably going to be upset when they listen to this, but <laughs> <laughs> they'll be all right.
0: They'll be all right. Let's talk about women. You mentioned Reese Witherspoon. Um, oh,
1: Gabrielle Union.
0: Yeah. Ah, oh, yes. So did they find you or did you say, I'm doing women's now? I just feel like some women, me, want a great suit and you, you'll find it.
1: <laughs> you know, it's their husband's. To be completely honest with you. So, with Gabrielle, I got connected to Dwayne Wade first. And I would just be at her house all the time bringing him clothes. And one day she was like, dude, you gotta do me some shit. I was like, hey, you know, I don't really do women's clothes. She's like, oh, come on. So, um the first time we did something, I think was for uh there was a big event with Dwayne, Gabrielle, and Zaya. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the daughter Zaya. Yeah. And I got the opportunity to address the whole family. So I was like, okay, I can do this. Um, you know, I did something for uh, Kevin Hart's wife. I was like, hmm, okay, I can do this. And then Reese Witherspoon, like, I'm really good friends with her, her husband, Jim, um, and do a lot of clothes with Jim. Shout out Jim Todd. And <laughs> I was over at Reese's one day. Well, I was over at Reese and Jim's um, dropping off some clothes, and she just yells from the balcony. Fresh, what's up? Like, what the hell? <laughs> where's the woman's stuff, dude? And you know, she's all country. She's like, where's the woman's stuff? I said, I promise, I promise. Just give me a second. So
0: <laughs> I love it. Well, tell me about your your business model today. What percentage of your, I guess, business of your sales are these custom suits? I on your site, there's this bespoke offering. You can come to them, they can come to you. Uh, you've got your pricing, what everything starts at. Um, I mean like you said it's luxury but um is that is it's that the, the brunt of it right now and you we can talk about your newer ready to wear launch but um yeah first of all what percentage is is custom
1: 95% right now is custom like the majority of my business is custom you know on the website you can buy some um ready to order cuz it's not even ready to wear like you can purchase it and then it immediately goes into production it's a fast turnaround you know generally Things are shipping out within like 10 days. Um, but right now, the majority of my business is custom. I don't know. I think it's just fascinating to have like a custom business that's at the luxury price point that has this fashion designer per, like perception. Like um, people view my, my custom clothes like a brand, which has made it easier for me to transition into what I'm doing now. Like now I'm working on my ready to wear, which is going to launch in um, March of 22. Um, like real ready to wear. But doing my tailoring the way I've done it has made it real easy. It's made my brand recognizable. You
0: know? Yeah, I know. You've got your your track stripes. You've got your, le- is it a yellow tab? You've got things yellow that tab, really yeah. differentiate it without having a big old logo on there. Uh, was that strategic?
1: Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I've never been into logo mania. Um, when I was a kid, you know, I would wear a t-shirt or something that said polo all over the front of it. And my dad would always give me shit like, "What is that? Are they paying you? Like, what do you mean? Are they paying you for what? Your T-shirt? Did they pay you for it? I'm like, no, man, I had to buy this. T-. Well, why are you advertising somebody else? Like, why? Are you, why is someone else's name all on your chest? That's like, good what point. are you doing? Like, and so I always had to look at it different. Like, damn, that's a good point. Um, because if I'm doing this, then I'm clearly stating that I'm, I'm aligned with whatever." they're aligned with that they represent me or you know what i'm saying like and i had to be very careful Hmm, be careful about the names that you put across your chest so i never i never did it really after that after high school i was off of that and um but i know the power of logomania i know people love a defining characteristic so i just decided i would use stripes as my logo you know so i i do put my logo everywhere <laughs> yes
0: well, I like it. Well, it's less obnoxious, we'll say. <laughs> yeah. um, tell me about. Um, I, I like what you said. Like you said, it's made to order. Um, Twenty five of each. Would love to hear about that strategy as well. Um, is that this is is this made to order collection? Is it Binghampton? Is this temporary as you kind of transition to this ready to wear line?
1: Yeah. So the Binghampton collection was just my initial. it was like my first collection that you can get and it not be custom, even though it was still ready to order. Um, But yeah, 25 pieces, you know, I wanted to keep it very limited um, because I didn't want it to be a thing that just goes on forever. I want 25 of these are going to go out and at some point they'll be very valuable because it was only 25 of them. Um, And some things have already been discontinued. And, you know, it, it also puts me in a position where, you know, if you do well in one area, then you're going to sell, sell through. And once you've done that, then you kind of have an an obligation to give them more. So, you know, if I just have like this endless supply, then my job is done. I don't need to go back and refresh it. It's like, no, you've only got so much. So you got to go back and give them some more.
0: For sure. Well, the clothes, uh, they feel, I mean, in terms of maybe the comfort level or the vibe, kind of suited to the times when people are at home and maybe they want a little bit more Something more comfortable, maybe than a suit. Uh, tell me about the the impact of the last nineteen months on the brand. Uh, did you feel the need to come out with something um, less tailored, um, more casual, or what's the balance there?
1: No, I didn't really change anything. Um, I just let time do its thing. You know, everyone's. I mean, everybody got affected. You know, COVID, the pandemic, it hit everybody. I don't know a single, I don't know anyone that it didn't hit. So, um, like my business pretty much stopped (laughs) i think from march to march april may june march april may june i don't think i made any rich fresh money march april may june so i went some time um but i didn't give them a like diffusion product i didn't come up with you know a lounge set or pajamas or anything i just you know started another business, me and my brother, we started um, a company called Henry instead. I'm like, eh, well, let's just do something else while the world kind of resets a little bit. We don't know what's going on. I can't push, you know, $5,000, $6,000 suits right now. It doesn't make sense. Um, but, you know, where is, where is there the greatest need? There's a mask shortage. Okay, well, how, how can we, you know, respond to a mask shortage? create a company that does a mask subscription. So they're constantly in circulation. Okay. So we did that. And, um, just as things were getting back to a sense of, of normalcy, rich, fresh started kind of getting a little bit of traction again, but doing what I'd already, you know, already done. Like I didn't do anything different. I just came back with more tracksuits, with better suits, higher price point. um, I didn't have to water down my product. You know, I saw a lot of people water down their brand during this period and they started using that um, that terrible word, sale, clearance, you know, got to get some money in. And for a luxury brand, that's like, you're done. You know, it just shows desperation and you can't be luxury and be desperate at the same time
0: totally well your your masks are great, I must say <laughs> um oh, tell me you about so your your brother as your business partner was that new for you and um yeah how about getting that off the ground was that all about um doing some great marketing everybody's searching for masks
1: yeah so I mean my brother' my business partner is not a new concept like we've always I, I knew that one day I was gonna become very successful I didn't want to do it by myself like I, I've seen families where only one sibling was the successful one? the rest of them were broke or always asking this one for money. And I thought that that was like, like that was a fail. You failed, you did not do the job. You failed, you should have brought your siblings with you. How can you be the only successful? That's a failure, you're not a success. So I always had that type of mentality. So anytime I tried to start a business, I would always reach out to my brothers, like, hey, I'm about to do this, you wanna get involved. So we were always doing stuff, we throw parties together, I used to do catering. He would drive down and uh, cook with me for events um, in San Diego. I mean, we started business after business. It was always just the two of us, you know, and so I'm like, that's just what we did. So I moved him out to Los Angeles to run um, my clothing factory. I, I bought my factory in 2019. So I moved him out to run my factory because he's got a very, um, he's got a very like uh, mechanical mindset. Yeah. Uh, and so I had um, asked him if he could come out and do that. And while he was there, that's when the pandemic happened. So with him knowing how to, you know, do all that production stuff, I'm very good at creating things and marketing. He's really good at like building things. Um, and so I'd say, Hey, look, man, let's do this together. I don't want this to be a rich, fresh thing because then you're not going to have any equity and ownership in it. Let's just create another thing. You know, I had the money. So I was like, I'm going to, build it out i've got the funds for it um you build out the factory i'm going to give you the money and you build out the factory you find our fabric sourcing you do that shit i'm going to design it i'm going to put it on my social media because at the time i had like fifty thousand followers um i was like i'm gonna put it on social and i'm gonna pub it that way and we'll use my right now audience to show this new product and um That was it. That was just the strategy. Let's just put it in front of as many people as possible. Let's make it look really cool. Um, Let's give them a really clean website. And then, you know, the the interviews started showing up. People started asking, what is this, Henry? And the word just word just really got out. And the business boom.
0: Yeah, I mean, really well. The power of Instagram. I read a million dollars, it did a million dollars in five months. You were able to create 60 plus jobs, which is so awesome. Um, I know that some celebrities have worn those as well. Um, was that some gifting involved to get those in the hands of, of stars
1: too? Initially, no. Um, like, you know, we, we didn't have PR. We didn't, we didn't do anything with PR until, I think November of 2020. Yeah. And, um, we had celebrities wearing our stuff, like just right out the gate. LeBron, um, Kate Upton, Odell Beckham, like they were just clients, you know, they were finding the mask. They were buying the masks. Um, and then it, you know, just spread and that really helped to, you know, get the word out there. And then once we got PR involved, um, we reached out and we did a little bit of gifting, but not a lot. I'm not a big fan of just giving your stuff away. Um, but, you know, we did like gifting and, you know, like we, we had, I think we sent something to, to J-Lo and um afterwards her stylist was like, yo, you guys sent some, a few masks to J-Lo and she loves them, but she, she doesn't have any more. I have to get some of these masks. So <laughs> then it just, you know, it just shifted and people were like, we have to have it.
0: <laughs> nice. So now you're, you're a multi-business owner. Uh, are you seeing the success of the mask? Is, is that, um has that stabilized? Is that still... Uh, you're still going going strong. Um, are you putting some of the, those earnings into Rich Fresh? Um, talk to me about the balance there.
1: No, they're they're separate companies. You know, we 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 keep them separate. <clears throat> you know, Rich Fresh is our early investor in Henry, so at some point I'll get my money out. <laughs> um, but no, you know, I mean, I, I I keep the two separate. We've got separate teams that run each. Um, the two separate operations, two totally separate factories and um yeah i mean henry's doing like as i mean phenomenal numbers um you know it's like we we grew real quick and we did 40,000 in the first month and by that fifth month we were like 180,000 um no it was even higher than that because it was like it was over 200,000 yeah in month 5 you Amazing. know that's how we totaled a million so just like I don't want to give too much information away, but think of that type of trajectory and then add another 12, 13, 14 months to it. And it's pretty much been moving at like that pace. You know, it hit a few spots where it kind of leveled out, but it's still, it just starts climbing, you know, like we are just able to tap into new markets, um, all the time, you know, it's, it's weird how a mask can touch so many different markets.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, you mentioned, um, PR, um, where, where, what's worthy of, uh, I guess, spend right now, whether it's, is it, is it your Instagram is obviously powerful, getting some PR behind it. Um, is there any additional marketing where where are you putting your dollars?
1: Our dollars right now, I mean, we haven't been investing in PR over the past, I think five, six months. We've just been very organic. It's like, "Mm." you know, I think the PR that we had in place, I didn't see the response that I anticipated, it wasn't the right firm. So we just decided to kind of take a step back and just do the organic thing. We've seen far more success with our organic approach. Um, so, you know, and we also, we we were doing a little bit of um, online advertising for a few months and same thing, just with the wrong firm. So we scaled that back. So I think now we're just in a position we haven't really been putting our money anywhere aside from um developing the business you know nice. hiring the right people uh our sourcing you know our machinery etc uh making sure that like you know we're properly capitalized to do the advertising yeah. you know like if you do the advertising and you do all this work and then you get the influx of business and you can't handle it cuz you didn't build your business you put the cart before the horse so we're doing a really good job right now building a very strong horse and then now we're uh finna hitch a cart to it.
0: Nice. Are you experiencing some of the same problems in terms of um sourcing materials for either business? Um we're just hearing about all these supply chain mm-hmm. nightmares. What's your experience
1: there? No, no nightmares for us. I mean the cool thing with Henry is um and and you know we built it this way from the beginning. We didn't just make it a free-for-all where people could just go to the site and order anything and put us in a Spot, we're like, oh my god, we're out of yellow, and everyone's ordering. We determine what masks we put out. Like every month, we sit down and we look at like what's available, what we think the market would like, and we build out these small collections every month. So we're we're never in a spot where we're like selling what we don't have. We always have the supply. Um, We're always able to check and see like what is you know in supply. I mean, there are things that we can't get our hands on. We just make sure we don't sell that, but. We also did a really good job of stocking a lot of like our raw goods. Um, so we can coast for a while. And as far as, as Rich Fresh goes, like a lot of my goods are, um, you know, a, a lot of my fabric is uh, Italian. Um, but I also I sourced a lot and I do have some uh, some partners in Los Angeles who have done the insourcing so I can just connect with them and purchase off of them.
0: Oh, Great. Well, good. Yeah. Let's talk about next steps. Um, does mm-hmm. where do you see the, where do you see the brand going at Rich Fresh? Is it about fundraising? Is it about partnering, maybe with a, a well known retailer? Is it? Are there freshes in training that can do <laughs> the the tailoring that you can do and the expert job that you do to kind of grow it? What how, what's key to growth?
1: Shit, all, all the things you just mentioned. I mean, again, I've I've never raised money you know, for either the business, we just kind of, I don't know, we just have a sense and we're we're risk takers. I don't, I don't go to Vegas. I don't really do the casinos, but I bet on myself a lot. So I'll just put, I'll put all the money on myself. Um, but now I think, you know, to go where we need to go next um, fundraising is going to be important because we just need to be able to attract um, a stronger team, you know, um, and just be better positioned to like, take advantage of all these opportunities. Doing everything custom, there's still a wait period. So I can't take advantage of all the opportunities I want to with Rich Fresh. So it's just important, you know, as we move into the ready to wear, potentially opening up stores that I do this right that I get the right funding, but I also get like the right strategic partners, people who understand the business or they understand they understand some aspect of business that's necessary to be hyper successful. Whether that's a a retailer or, you know, a big luxury conglomerate, or it may just be private investors, but it's definitely, it's that time.
0: For sure. Well, I know you had um, a Brief, you had you had an experience at New York Fashion Week through Harlem's Fashion Row. I'm a fan of Brandis there, um, which is awesome. Oh, Brandis, yeah. Hey Brandis. Um, so I'm seeing the you've seen the ins and outs of the industry. You mentioned some um, not being you know jazzed about where some of your um, employers were going with with their companies and all of that. Anyway, I would just love to get your take on on the state of fashion, um, like the problems with it, the opportunities for it. Have you had to carve your own way? Uh, that's a big question, but. But um yeah, how do you see it right now?
1: Yeah, I mean, um I definitely had to carve my own way. Um, you know, I'm 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 an outsider. You know, I'm a fashion outsider. So I didn't go to LA with fashion friends. I wasn't part of a fashion clique. Um I connected with Brandis because like we're both from Memphis. And she was doing a show in Memphis and just reached out because I think she saw on social media that I was in town. I didn't know who she was. I didn't know what Harlem's fashion role was no clue, but I was just being a nice guy. And she asked if I would support her fashion show. And I had a few pieces that I brought with me to show. So I said, yeah, cool. You know, I'll put these in your show and you know, that was really it. I just, I was just doing it to be nice. And then, um, she met with me later and she said, Hey, this is who I am. This is what I do really want to connect with you. Like, All right, cool. Um, I didn't know it would lead to New York fashion week. That was the last thing I ever thought. But, um, it was cool, especially because, like, I don't have that type of circle. Like, I don't have a peer group that's that would get me to New York Fashion Week. I don't have other designers that I hang with. So it was, uh, it was very interesting that, that it happened that way. Um, I think now, at this point in my career, it's important. It, you can hold on to the title of outsider and underdog forever. But, like, what does that really do? You know, it's 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 feeding some, it's feeding something, and I don't think that that thing needs to be fed anymore. I think now it's time to go from outsider and underdog to top dog insider. You nice. know, I don't need to be outside of fashion. I am fashion, so why don't I, you know, come on inside and, and introduce myself?
0: I love it. <laughs> right on. Did you see the power of Fashion Week, or is that just like it was a good experience? Um, is it still powerful?
1: i still super powerful. I mean just being able to say that you showed on fashion, like during fashion week and it not be a lie. A lot of people say it would be a lie. I can say it and it's like, no, I, I'll prove it. I'll show you. Um, that's powerful. You know, it's just as powerful as getting all these celebrities. Like, and you actually, you put, so the Emmys, you, yeah. Really for his video, it, it, it's, credi- it's, it's credibility and it's validation. So, but it's also pressure because you, you know, you don't do fashion week and then, and then you just fall off. There's an expectation. If you do fashion week, you know, people are expecting more. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a double-edged sword, you know, people want the um, they want the thing because it feels good, but you gotta also be willing to do the work that comes afterwards so you can maintain your position.
0: Right on. And last question for you. What can we expect from this ready-to-wear rollout in March? Will there be women's as well? Will there be some great track suits in the mix? What can you share?
1: It'll be men's. It'll be women's. It'll be rich, fresh. It'll be stripes. It's going to be so beautiful. It's probably going to be the most beautiful brand to emerge um, in 2022 far more so than anything I'm seeing right now on the market. Like, she's going to be a breath of fresh air, like a beautiful splash of color, but so well done and well balanced, you know. Um, I'm really excited to show. I'm really excited to show to people.
0: I'm excited to see it. Awesome. Well, Fresh, thank you so much for taking the time, for chatting with me today. This was so fun.
1: Absolutely. I appreciate you, Jill. That's
0: all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. If you liked this episode, be sure to share it with someone else you think would. Thanks for listening to The Glossy Podcast.